Well, welcome to episode 81 of The Professor and the Hack. Uh, I am the hack, Hugh Rimmington. The prof, Peter Van Onselen, uh, has got family business, unfortunately, and uh, and that's left us in a bit of a spot because there is so much going on in the United States we wanted to talk about. Peter's not available, but I am delighted to say that we have a guest prof, a guest professor joining us uh, who knows in abundance about uh, what's going on in the U.S. at the moment. In fact, he is the CEO of the U.S. Studies Center at the University of Sydney, Professor Simon Jackman. Hi, Simon. Great to be with you, Hugh. Great to have you with us. Um, I want to get into the details, drill down into how an impeachment might work, what Section 25 is, mm -hmm. uh, all your thoughts as to where this might lead the Republican mm -hmm. Party, the future of America. Uh, but just as an overview as we embark on this unique and American history event of, of a president facing impeachment for a second time, what is your, what is your sense? Has any of this played as you expected that it might play even three or four months ago? Um, no, I have to say, look, um, a, a mix of, a mix of surprise, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm also tinged with, um, we could have seen so much of this coming, and I think a lot of people did. It was it was hard to know how this was going to end, given Trump's repeated insistence that the election had been stolen from him, and then carrying that all the way through to the day that Congress would receive and certify the results of the Electoral College. How how could it have ended? And I think the point where the surprise comes in is that I don't think many people anticipated the the size and the ferocity of the of the insurrectionists frankly that pretty easily overwhelmed the capitol police and and got their way into the building I, I i think that took i think that's the charitable interpretation frankly that it it took people by surprise um that element of it but everything else um up until that moment i think uh was imminently predictable I mean, the fact is, is that he obviously he said right on election night, he said, this is there's a fraud underway. In fact, he said it before the election. There was a, yes, the whole yeah, thing was yeah. rigged. And yet I had a sense that at some stage, uh, reality, you know, you can't sustain the argument ultimately in defense, you know, in the face of facts and that ultimately he would, he, you know, he'd go into a, a funk and he'd say, all right, OK, I lost and and walk the gangplank. Um by denying that, by still denying it, by still saying that he that this election was stolen from him, ultimately at that point it becomes a clash between reality and the will of the president, and the will of the president to uh, generate a kind of a, uh, a a sort of a conspiracy of idiocy, if you like, mm -hmm. of, of, in defiance of the facts among a core base who are willing to go in there and and have a go. At that point. Um, it surely was inevitable. It had to come to blows because there's no other way in which that could be resolved. People believed the whole thing had been stolen from him. Yeah, that's right. And 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 you put your finger on it with this denial of reality, just a, a hallmark of Trump's whole career in the public eye, um, from sort of you know real estate hustler developer in in New York and New Jersey, uh, all the way through to getting in the politics. Remember the first big lie that 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 got him, you know, into politics really was that Obama was not born in the United States. It was Donald Trump that that kept that alive. And it became this 
Yeah, actually, I, I don't know that people actually believe it. I think it gives them cover to 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 you know act out on the darker impulses, if you will. Um, I think it's a really we need to really step back at some point and reflect on this. People can't really believe these things, can they? And I actually don't know that they do, but I think people go along with it because it gives them cover to to sort of act out on you know, what is otherwise, you know, frankly, an outwardly racist um, sort of mindset with respect to Obama, but not just Obama, with respect to immigrants uh, coming up over the Mexican border, threatening to take over the United States, the caravan um, that was was coming up. Remember that lie that 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 he talked about ahead of the 2018 midterms. It, it's this sort of big lie, capital B, capital L, that time and time again has been a touchstone of, of, of Trump's presidency. And ultimately, you know, the big lie that he couldn't get past was, was COVID. And I think that was what really undid his presidency, sort of this spin it away, lie, 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 deny, deflect strategy that served him, frankly, quite well um, up until that point, came up against something that could not be denied. And that is the, just the carnage that COVID um, was 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 reaping um, across the American landscape, and then finally we get to to the election itself, where it's one thing to to sort of go on social media and, and spin all sorts of garbage, but to then have to go into court, and and they couldn't right, they couldn't go into court because as, as many people have pointed out, you get in real trouble for lying to a federal judge in a way that you don't get into trouble for for putting some garbage up on on social media. And that's where the that's where, frankly, I think we talk about will the American institutions hold, and the American institutions and you know the courts did, um, and and if there's any upside to sort of the sad saga of the last um, six eight weeks in particular, it's that you know in court case after court case, um, Republican judges in some cases Trump appointed judges did their constitutional duty. You're listening to uh, Professor Simon Jackman uh, from the U.S. Studies Centre at the University of Sydney uh, sitting in today for an absent uh, Professor Peter Van Onselen. Uh, Simon, you mentioned COVID and it does raise that issue that uh, many people have said it on both sides that had it not been for COVID. Uh, you know, there's a, you know, would Trump have been re-elected? I think many people say probably so. Uh, you say, how could people believe all this stuff? Uh, and I say, have a look at people whose diet is purely... Uh, well, much has been said about Fox News in the United States. People mm-hmm. have got that cable channel on permanently, but also social media sites, echo chambers, um, a lot of YouTube sites that are running in there, Info Wars. There's, there's the Newsmax is the new. There's so many crowding into the space. Parlor, which has been funded, we now know, by uh, Rebecca Mercer, who's the mm-hmm. daughter of the mysterious Robert Mercer, who was the mm-hmm. number one funder for Trump back in 2016 to create this rival to Twitter using much the same sort of broad technology mm-hmm. um, to become essentially a right-wing version of Twitter. That's also been deplatformed now by Apple and Google and, and so on. But if you were living in the world, and I met plenty of these people in the United States and I was there just you know a couple of months ago, um, and that was your diet, what else can you believe? You're getting no alternative voices. So in the in the context of that, was Twitter wrong and all those others, Facebook, et cetera, wrong to shut down the president of the United States? Oh, I 
I, I, I'm of two minds on this one. I think, you know, the United States with its strong First Amendment culture uh, and, and commitments to free speech that are encoded in the First Amendment, but also just culturally and historically and socially, um, you know, what it means to be free in the United States is being free to speak your mind. And, and Twitter, these social media platforms sort of gave us a technology for that to sort of flourish might be the polite way of putting it. Run right might be the other way to, to put it. Um, but at the end of the day, they're private companies. Um, and that's the flip side of the First Amendment, that, that Congress sh shall make no law, right, reads the First Amendment, impinging on, on, on freedom of speech. And that means they can't, their ability to, to, to shut these things down, you know, ultimately they're private companies. They control their terms of use and who gets the post and who doesn't. And, you know, and it's a marketplace. And I think that's what the parlor play was originally about um, creating a, another company, if you will. Um, if Twitter was, was finding it too uncomfortable given its business model um, um, to, to have sort of voices like Trump's there, um, then, then let the, the marketplace create another forum. And then, of course, then the providers sort of struck back, Apple, um, Google, but critically, uh, the back end, it was being hosted on Amazon and, and, and Amazon sort of in, in one fell blow, um, those, when those three actors moved against Parler, it was all over. I'm um, just listening to the Parler CEO. Apparently, their legal representation has walked away from them as well. They're, in, in, in 24 hours, um, they lost all their technology support, uh, but also apparently their legal their, their law firm um, walked away from them. But, but that's the marketplace at work in, 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 in the United States. It, it wasn't government that compelled any of that. Those were decisions made by, by people in, in, in the private sector. So therefore, so therefore, on that basis, it's not a breach of the First Amendment rights no, to free speech because that that's about that's protects you from government uh, presenting that, that's, impositions that's right. on your free that's speech. That's right. And but the, the really interesting thing, Hugh, is that are we in a world now where Twitter, Facebook have become so ubiquitous that that politicians and perhaps the citizenry, and the same applies in Australia, by the way. I think we've got the same mindset here. They're public utilities at this point. That we we think of them the same way as we think about them as radio spectrum <laughs> that belongs quote unquote to everybody. But at the end of the day, the internet is it, it's, we're still figuring this out. I think legally, culturally, is it, is it a public space or is it, is it a set of sort of interlinked private spaces um, that operate under the rules of, 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 of private enterprise and commerce with, with sort of light touch or medium touch regulation from, from government, I think that one of the many legacies of the Trump presidency will be to sort of shine a big bright light on that and, and firm up um, our thinking and indeed where we land, you know, constitutionally, legally on some of these questions. But right now, you know, I, 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 I find myself, you know, there's nothing to see there. I think Twitter, if you don't like what Twitter has done, Donald Trump goes somewhere else. And 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 they tried to go somewhere else, and and that got taken away. But you know, the internet is remains an open platform. They they can rebuild it from scratch. It'll be hard without the support of people like Apple, Google, and Amazon. But if you wanted to create that platform, you you can. And by the way, there are eight others that w their names don't come as trippingly to the tongue as Twitter and Facebook. But there are plenty of other places out there where where uh, alas, you might say. 
um, where those sorts of views uh, flourish on the internet. And of course, the president of the United States can call a news conference. He can put out a press release. Right. He can, he's got all these other avenues by which, by right. which he'd be reported. Uh, yeah. He's the president of the United States. He's hardly been shouted. That's right. And, and we also have to say that the Australian government, particularly after the uh, horrific massacres in Christchurch, uh, was at the lead of putting restrictions on, on abhorrent speech uh, on social media platforms. Yeah, and and right. some people in Facebook were appalled that they were doing it in Australia and said it couldn't work. So the notion that it, it should be an absolute free form for whatever you put on there is not one supported by the Morrison government. We've seen that because of what happened um, there. Um, We're going to have to take a break in a minute, but I have to, before we get there, talk about what is happening. So we've, we've now got a series of congressional processes that are underway, constitutional processes that are underway. Uh, One is um, section or article 25. So what we're hearing from the congressional leadership from the Democrats is that Mike Pence must start processes to remove the president under article uh, 25 of the constitution or impeachment proceeds. The articles of impeachment already been drawn up. Mm -hmm. Tell me what article 25 is. So the 25th um, amendment to the U S constitution creates the uh, pathway for a president who is incapacitated or deemed to be incapacitated uh, can be um, temporarily um, or even permanently uh, uh, removed from office. Now, the, it, it's the 25th Amendment, so it's a rel- the, the fact that it's that high an amendment reflects it's, it's relatively recent. It, it, it is a, um, a 20th century uh, amendment to the American Constitution. But the provision that people are pointing to is um, if, if the vice president and, a, and half of the cabinet, or more than half of the cabinet, uh, make a determination the president is incapacitated and can, can no longer serve, um, then the vice president can be, can be made um, acting president. The president then can, if you will, appeal the case. Um, but if Congress sort of ratifies the action, um, then, then it, 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 can, it can stay in place. And given that we're only talking a week uh, to go, if if Pence and half the cabinet were to make that determination for all, for all intents and purposes, Trump, you know, that's the end of his his you know his presidency. Uh, so that's the proviso there. Now it's been talked about all through the Trump presidency, but it had no realistic uh, a chance of going through. And I tend to think it still doesn't. Um, it's it's a mighty mighty thing for a vice president elected on the same ticket. Um, as the president of the United States to, to take that step. And I think what they've got in mind is clearly, you know, there's clearly some issue with the president's sanity. And, and you know, I, I, as much as you point to, to sort of what Trump's been saying and doing of late, I, I, I still think the circumstances on, under which um, Pence and the cabinet are, you know, Republicans and, and, and appointed by Trump, I think if, if you, that's why those resignations were there. I think, I think a lot of cabinet people, if, if you felt that that was going to be a tough vote for you, I think people resigned. And so Betsy resigned DeVos, first. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you don't have to vote it. Right. So Betsy DeVos went right. And, um, and, and Elaine Chan, the secretary of transportation, they resigned in the immediate aftermath. So they're sort of out of the picture. So the people who are left are, are sort of diehard Trump loyalists, I think. And so the idea that they're going to support that kind of a, a move 
and 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 forever, right? Forever be um, in the bad books of, of the Republican rank and file uh, who are Trump loyalists, or that segment of the Republican rank and file who are Trump loyalists. Um, I, I don't think they're they're willing to do that. So I don't see it as realistic. And no sign of Mike Pence being interested either. Um, Professor Simon Jackman, let's take a quick break. Uh, we want to talk through what the actual impeachment might look like and why you'd bother and what Joe Biden's issues are and all of this. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Back in a moment. Where are all these diseases that everyone is talking about? Governments love pandemics. And that was based on false information. I was a climate change denier. The conspiracy virus, examining two hugely prevalent conspiracy theories. We must declare a climate emergency. You cannot leave it any longer. There are so many individuals and countries who are profiting from what we're going through right now. Search for 10 News First Person wherever you get your podcasts to listen. Welcome back. You're listening to The Professor and the Hack, episode 81. Our focus today is totally on uh, events coming out of the United States. And with Peter Van Onselen not available for us at the moment for family reasons, uh, we are joined by uh, Professor Simon Jackman from the U.S. Study Center at the University of Sydney. Great to have you with us, Simon. Um, we talked about uh, this article, well, this uh, um, uh, amendment, the 25th Amendment option, mm-hmm. which is being proposed by some Democrats to get rid of Donald Trump. I, I presume that was really put in in the event of somebody having a stroke or, or some sort of medical episode that That's rendered it. them impossible or possibly an assassination attempt, which um, doesn't entirely work. The thought that you'd get him kicked out on the basis that he has become uh, you know, deranged, uh, which is really what the argument is um, being put up to Pence itself as shows us what crazy times we're in. But the impeachment process, this itself is interesting. Uh, he's already been impeached once. Uh, the impeachment process, people misunderstand because impeachment sounds like that's the end of it, where it's really, in a sense, the beginning of a process. It's like an indictment. Yeah, that's right. But that's the, exactly the, so the Democrats have drawn up these articles of impeachment. I'm going to read the key element here because it, uh, because it's instructive in itself. It says, in his conduct while president of the United States, And in violation of his constitutional oath faithfully to execute the office of president of the United States and to the best of his ability, preserve, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and in violation of his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States. It's a clunky sentence. But lying at the heart of it are two issues. One is that he violated his constitutional oath to do to the best of his ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. It's a strong argument there. The other is, is that he engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the very government of the United States. That's a pretty good prima facie case against him. Yeah, I mean, if if you can sustain the case that he incited violence against the government of the United States, if that's not violating your oath of office to preserve and defend the laws and the constitution, then, then nothing is. And, and I think it's so stark for so many legislators at the moment, particularly for Democrats. But the really interesting thing, Hugh, is just literally as we're talking hour by hour, um, more and more Republicans are coming around to the view that this is just beyond the pale. 
Um, I want to talk about those numbers and what Republicans do, but let's talk about process just for a moment for people's benefit. You've got your articles of impeachment. How how does it flow? Well, traditionally, it's quite ponderous, right? It takes forever. It goes to the House Judiciary Committee. There are hearings and it's this laborious process. And then it goes to the full floor of the House of Representatives um, to consider it. And um, it's quite drawn out. But there is an urgency to this that's really overwhelming. Pelosi is basically saying, we'll get, we'd like to see Pence and the cabinet exercise the 25th Amendment, but if they don't, we've got this article of impeachment ready to go. Um, I don't think they're going to refer it to the Judiciary Committee, or if they do, it'll be in an entirely pro forma kind of uh, hearing. And they, I think they, are, they could bring this to the floor of the House of Representatives in the next 24 you know, 36, 48 hours. I, I, I think it's there's this sense of a clear and present danger, to use the dramatic phrase, um, that, that Trump presents. And there's nothing in the Constitution, by the way, that says it has to be a laborious process. I think that has been historically Watergate with Richard Nixon, the Clinton impeachment, the, the first Trump impeachment, the recent examples of presidential impeachment precisely because of the gravity of it, of what you're contemplating removing an elected president. Um, that's why it's been so drawn out and, and tons and tons of process, Hugh. But I think right now, given this was an assault on the capital of the United States, uh, the, the, the House and the Senate itself, I think those institutions of government feel that they are under threat and, and they're going to react with, with dispatch. Um, you know, and that so, itself will be of so, historical en- enormity, the fact that they would move so quickly to get articles of impeachment uh, through the House of Representatives. And then once it's through the House of Representatives, what happens for and, and him that, to be? And that's the thing that a lot of people forget. You, you are right. The metaphor of an impeachment being an indictment is absolutely correct. We then move on to a trial in the United States Senate, which... And it's not just any other trial. It's where the Senate is sitting as a jury in a trial, but with the rule that you need a two-thirds vote to remove the president uh, to convict. And, and, and that's the language in the Constitution, to convict a president of those high crimes and misdemeanors uh, with the penalty, the sanction being removal from office um not just not just removal from office though is it 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 is it makes him uh, and this is key to it it makes it impossible for him to stand for office again and and that's the that's the key key thing um that a lot of republicans are looking at at the moment that this sort of is a way of you know cauterizing uh themselves um divorcing if you will shutting the door on on donald trump's connection um, to, to federal national politics going forward if he were to be um, so um, certainly um, convicted. And, and intriguingly, Hugh, there's another prospect that has just come coming onto people's radar, and that is um, the 14th Amendment um, to the U.S. Constitution, which was passed uh, back in the Civil War, where there was, right, a, a, it was a civil war. There was states seceding from the Union. It made... Um, incitement um, of uh, sedition um, or the act of sedition or incitement of sedition. Uh, similarly, uh, if, if Congress were fined, and intriguingly, I don't think you need a two-thirds vote for this, but if Congress were to make a finding that Trump had violated, uh, had been in- engaged in incitement of sedition, uh, then the provisions of the 14th Amendment similarly would disqualify him. 
from holding federal office going forward. So that's another thing. Literally, people are dusting off. We're, we're in such uncharted territory. People are dusting off their constitutional um, textbooks and the history books. And it turns out there may be another pathway that does not involve impeachment. But certainly, I think all options are being examined in these dying days of the Trump presidency. You mentioned dying days, and this is where it's critical. Given that there's going to be a new president on January the 20th, what is the point of proceeding with these things when, heaven forbid, the only thing really, that the only damage left for Trump is to suddenly reach for the nuclear codes, um, that, he, that he's essentially now the lamest of ducks, he doesn't even have his Twitter account, um, that why are people bothering with this? I understand it's important, deeply important to many, uh, including some in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Why does it matter with a guy who's essentially, in normal historical terms, finished and dusted? Um, I think a couple of things going on. I think, number one, the Democratic um, rank and file are just up, just outraged by this. And I think many members of Congress are as well, that this was an attack on those two chambers, uh, you know, the, the legislative branch was attacked by a mob that was being incited and spurred on by the leader of the executive branch. And I think it's just, what, what, what else can they do? Um, I think they feel compelled both, I think, as a matter of conscience, but also I think they're hearing from their constituents that this is just an outrage and that you've got to do something. You just can't say, oh, well, he's going. We're just going to sort of give him a give him a pass on this. Even, even the symbolic act of impeaching, impeaching Trump and, and putting him in the history books as a, a, a twice impeached president and giving him that, that you know, singular distinction. I think people feel they've got to do something. You're just not going to, even with six days ago, you're not going to let a president of the United States get away with this. Uh, I think there's a sense of the historical stakes of this, that, that, that history will look back on this. What did they do? Did they just sort of go, oh, it's all too hard? Or did they, did they take a stand? And, and I, I actually think that those are the motivations at, at work right now. I think it's intriguingly who you raise, what's going on in the minds of Republicans. I, I think this is where it's, this is what it all turns on right now, Hugh. Um, I think is this, you know, Trump is electoral poison, or at least for enough of them and in sufficient quantities that this is time to divorce um, Ronald, uh, sorry, Donald Trump you know, from, from the Republican Party um, once and for all. And, and is there critical mass for that right now? And I think it is literally a delicate matter being worked out in real time. And you know that the way these things go, Hugh, in politics, you know, the, the first, the dam starts to quiver, the water starts to trickle through. And then very quickly, you know, you get a tipping point. And, and once it's on, it, it might be on. And I think uh, we're, we're literally, you know, in, I'm, you know, days, the, these coming days are going to be really critical um, to whether the Republican Party goes the full, the full tilt and, and, and essentially politically terminates their association with Donald Trump. Well, the leader of the Republican Party in the Senate is the venerable Mitch McConnell. Fox News is now reporting that McConnell is furious with Trump, their words, that he has done with him and that he is now of a mind to support impeachment because he sees it as a way to purge uh, Trump and his movement from the Republican Party. It's a bit, I suppose, to reclaim the Republican Party from uh, Trump. If true, um, would that be a significant moment? Oh, absolutely. 
uh, that's why it's so he is not getting in the way at this point of um, of impeachment in the way that he, you know, was dead set against impeachment, the first impeachment of, of, of Donald Trump. That, that's mightily significant. And I wonder what's going on here. Are they discovering things about the way Trump behaved on the day that when those those facts enter the public record, uh, and, and it turns out that they are aware of those facts, when did Trump get in the way of the National Guard being mobilized? Did Trump, um, you know, slow down the response of federal law enforcement, both before the event and during the event, if those once those facts, if you know, I'm just I'm just trying to kind of connect the dots as to why McConnell and so many other Republicans and other members of Congress, their anger seems to be growing uh, by the day. And I wonder what it is that they're learning about the president's culpability here that they they feel as though if it were to get in the public domain and assuming that it will one day, that they're, they're being left with little option other than to to move against the president. And uh, Trump himself in his most recent public statement saying it is only the beginning of our fight to make America great again. So he still sees a, you know, a world for him leading his movement of patriots, as he has argued it, beyond uh, the inauguration of the new president. We're almost out of time, but I want to put two questions to you. One uh, really was spurred by Marco Rubio, the uh, Republican uh, senator, uh, former uh, presidential candidate, who, when they resumed in the House and in the in the chambers after the riots, uh, he said, China is laughing. They are You're loving right. this tonight. He says there is nothing Vladimir Putin could have come up with that was better than this. And there is a profound issue at stake there, that the leader of the free world, this absolute uh, bastion of democracy, the mm-hmm. figurehead of global democracy in mm-hmm. the building, which of course people think of, the, those countries that are authoritarian, that are repressive, that loathe the United States and what it represents, have been granted the greatest propaganda coup since World War II. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. And and Hugh, I was going to throw it into my answer to the previous question. Why is Congress moving the way they are? Because this is about the status of the United States in global public opinion as well, that that this is just such an affront um, that that signaling to the world that that the institutions of American democracy are strong and robust, um, I, I think, is part of the motivation here. It is the shame that so many of my American friends and, and interlocutors through the U.S. Study Center that we're in touch with in Washington, the shame and how humiliating this is, is, is palpable and is a big motivation. But you are absolutely right about the PR uh, victory handed to um, Putin and, and China in particular and enemies of the United States and enemies of, the, of, of democracy, frankly. And that's where it starts to impact Australia's national interests. Well, let's let's focus on that in Australia. We've heard uh, what many have found to be a deeply underwhelming response from the acting Prime Minister Michael McCormack, particularly when he uh, he appeared to um, well, he quite clearly aligned what we saw in the Capitol building with uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, as he gave that sort of equivalence argument. Uh, might that have been a moment when um, Australia? could have just made a statement as other countries who are allies and friends of the United States have made 
to reinforce our commitment to the shared norms of democracy, to the rule of law, to constitutional authority. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I, I think perhaps McCormick was caught on the hop there. You do not want to. But he I doubled think... down the next day. I mean, <laughs> it's one thing to be caught on the hop. He's a country, he's, yeah. he comes from parks and in regional New South Wales. I mean, he's not he's not there generally as a kind of a globalist, but the next day he did it again and did it harder. Yeah, I, I missed the follow-up, Hugh, but 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 um, you know, there is no moral equivalence here. You, you, they are categorically different events. Um what happened after George Floyd, and indeed what happened in front of the White House in, in, um, in Lafayette Square, um, um, and, and the President of the United States holding a rally, urging his supporters to march on the Capitol, telling him they have to fight, they have to be strong, that he would be there with them. We're talking, these are not in the same set, okay? Um, and, and I think it's really unhelpful I, I, I get the delicacies of government to government and, and perhaps managing um, where, where elements of Australian public opinion might be on, on this as well um, in, in your role as acting prime minister. But there is no moral equivalence um, whatsoever. Well, we'll see if there's any more sign of, uh, of backbone on, on, on behalf of uh, democracy and the things that we say we stand for in the days ahead as the prime minister comes back from his, uh, no doubt, well-earned leave. Um, Many will say, don't hold your breath, but we'll we'll give them uh, the benefit of the doubt. As we go into just a momentous week, we'll all be watching it coming out of the United States. But Simon Jackman, uh, stand in, professor, for the professor <laughs> and the hack from the U.S. Studies Center at the University of Sydney. So great to talk to you, and thanks for your yeah, Big shoes to fill with Peter away, but it was a pleasure, Hugh. Thank <laughs> you so much. All the best. Take care. Good on you. Thanks. You have been listening to a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks.